uh, JT is going to be speaking this morning, and he'll continue our series on the patriarchs. Thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. Man, seeing that white suit makes me feel considerably underdressed this morning. Just use your imaginations, pretending I have an awesome white suit on. Hey, so a lot of you guys know this has been a pretty crazy week for, for me and my family. I know there's been a lot, of, a lot of questions, and some people are completely unaware that it was a crazy week. I want to share with you guys kind of what happened and give you some updates. Um, uh, last week, today, Sunday, my parents, who are the uh, senior pastor and one of the associate pastors here, Danny and Penny Meyer, they were on their way to a, a much-needed vacation. And they were going with my sister and her three sons. Uh, they were going to Colonial Williamsburg. And on the way, uh, way down there, they got into a really bad accident. Um, they were in two cars, and the, the car that my mom was in actually flipped over a number of times. It's just a really, really bad accident. Um, and if, if you were following on Facebook or got, got any of the emails, you know that the, the prognosis at the beginning was very, very, very serious and really scary. Um, as the days go on, uh, a lot of the injuries don't look quite as serious as they looked at first, so we keep on getting really good news, um, and so that's awesome. Uh, but basically, what's going on is my, my mom has two broken vertebrae in her neck, um, and that can be very serious, but the, 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 the extent of it isn't as bad as it could have been. So it, that went from, you know, she, we don't know how bad it is to she's going to have to, you know, wear a halo for a number of months. And now they're just saying she's just going to have to wear a neck brace for about three months. So that's great news. Um, she, she had a really bad laceration on her head, and they were worried at first that there was maybe some, some damage to the brain, um, but there was no bleeding around the brain. It just was an, an external cut. Um, it's, it's a pretty bad cut, but they were able to stitch it up, so that's a lot better than we initially thought. Um, the only thing that was maybe a little worse than we thought, she, she had a, a lot of broken bones in her, in her arm, and a number of broken bones, and it, right now it's, it's just she's it's still really swollen, and they're having trouble uh, get, letting it heal up. So she'll be in a cast and doing physical therapy for the next number of months with her arm and her neck. But, you know, honestly, guys, I have received so many text messages and phone calls and emails and uh, Facebook messages, and I know my dad has as well. Um, and just on... On behalf of my family, I just want to say thank you, guys. Like, we, we really do appreciate all the prayer, all the well wishes. It's just, we, we, and, you know, offers to help. Um, it, it's just been really encouraging. And I, I spoke to my dad and my mom yesterday um, and talked to my dad this morning, and they just they couldn't say enough how much they really appreciate the church family. Um, this has just been a really encouraging time through this hard time for us. So thank you guys so much. I really do appreciate it. And they do say hello, and they hope to see you guys soon. So, But you know what? Last weekend I, it was actually my birthday when I got that message, which was, you know, a, kind of a bummer of a birthday present. Um, but I was actually, you know, me and my wife have a, have a young daughter, and she had surprised me. She took me... Um, to this lodge out in Amish country that day, and it was, you know, just really nice, and when she told me, hey, I got this lodge for us, 
I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed. Having a, a young kid can be super stressful, and it was going to be peace and quiet and just super enjoyable. And we settle in, and a couple hours into us being there, I get a call from my dad. And he um, obviously was very panicked. And he, you know, and if you know my dad, he doesn't get panicky ever. Like, I, honestly, I've never heard him panicky in my whole life. But he calls me up and he says, Jay, there's been a serious accident. Your mom is seriously injured. Um, I, I, don't, I can't really stay on the phone, but stick by the phone and I'm going to keep you posted. And it was like, oh my gosh. Like, I've never heard my dad like that. And I just started to, to panic myself a bit. And, you know, as I began to pray and just come, come, Lord, come, Lord. And as the hours went by, I was getting more updates from my dad. He would call me more and my sister would call me. And it just seemed like it was getting worse, all the details I was hearing. It was like, oh my gosh, this is very, very serious. And, you know, is my mom going to be paralyzed? Is she, is she going to pull through? Is she going to die? Is, you know, I don't know. Is she, does she have severe brain damage? It just seemed very, very scary to me. And, you know, I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago, and if you, if you, if you, you know, talk to me or my family, it's been a really hard year for my family. There's just been a lot... A lot of just deaths in our family and just struggles and things that just, you know, have been really, really frustrating and really hard. And so when I was sitting in the lodge in Amish country, I was just praying and I began to get just very angry, to be honest. I just started to get really angry at God and just saying, when is enough enough? You know, like, what's next, Lord? You know, like friends of ours are going through hard things that don't deserve to go through these things. And, you know, my mom is so sweet. She's such an amazing woman. And so many people look up to her and look to her as a mentor. Why are you allowing this to happen, God? She didn't do anything. Like it seems like you're just sitting on your hands up there, God. What are you doing? And I was just getting so full of just frustration and just anxiety and questions and just doubts and, and just, you know, you name it. I was just so full of, of, of just anger and frustration. And I think the truth is, is we all can experience that in times of our lives to a certain extent. We all, you know, experience hard things where we question or we can all experience, you know, these theological questions that we have in our head, those, those times where you say, you know, I don't get it, God. I don't understand this. You know, how do I know, God, that you're good? You know, how can I know that, you, that you're going to come through in this situation? How, how do I know that your, your words are true to me, Lord? You know, how do I know that you're even real? We all wrestle with these questions. We all go through these things at times. But you know what I found? I found that, that the church doesn't really address it. We don't really talk about it. And if we do talk about it, it's kind of like, if, you're, if you have doubts, stop doubting. Stop it and, just, and believe. You know, stop doubting and believe. And, and you know, the, the old saying, it's like trying to, to not think about a big pink elephant. You can't just not doubt. That just, it doesn't work that way. So we need to, to, to look at the elephant in the room. What do we do when we have these questions? 
What do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we're experiencing things that just don't make sense? Or we read, we read something in the Bible that we just don't get. What do we do? We're going to be continuing our series in, in Genesis and looking at the patriarchs, and we're going to be looking at a story that I think at the very core of it is doubt, questions. And we're going to be looking at is, is three different things. The reality of doubt, just as the reality of it that we all are experiencing it, kind of the what's and why's of it. And then, and then we're going to talk about how we need to respond to our doubt. And finally, we're going to look at how God responds to our doubt. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15. If you need a Bible, we have some on the stage here and on the sound booth. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible with you. It's our gift to you. But as you're looking up Genesis 15, I'm going to just pray. Lord, we, we do lift up my mom. We continue to pray for her. Just ask that you continue to heal. And Lord, I, I just pray for everyone in this church who's suffering. Everyone who has a family member who's suffering. Lord, we, we, we know, we believe that you are a God who heals. We, we believe that you're not a passive God. So we just pray that you come and, 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 and have your way with this church. In your name, amen. So you remember Abraham, at, the, at this time he was still known as Abram. So we're looking at the life kind of of Abram to start off. He was still known as Abram. And remember, God comes to Abram and just makes him this amazing promise. Just promises him that he's going to bless him, that he's going to bless his family, he's going to bless his generations after generation, and he's going to build, basically he's going to build the, the Jewish and Christian faith off of this guy. That he's going to be the father of the faith. He's going to be our patriarch. And it's just this amazing promise. And he promises so many other things like land and all these other cool things. And it's just this awesome time for, for Abram. And he believes God. And, and God you know, calls him to, to take some steps that you know, you're going to have to leave your country and do all these other things. But, and Abram is obedient and he believes. And it's this high point. And then we see immediately he begins to doubt. Like, immediately, he begins to doubt. And this is the cycle that we see in Abram's life, that it's like God tells him this wonderful thing, and he's like, I'm in, I'm in. And then he's like, oh, wait, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this, is, if this is working out, God. And he starts doing his own thing, and God reminds him, no, this is, this is the thing. And then he begins to doubt again. And where we're going to pick up is in the middle of one of these doubting times. So we're going to kind of go back um, and reread a couple things that we read last week. Um, but we're going to be looking at chapter 15, verse 5. It says, He, God, took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky. Remember, this is in the midst of his doubts. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand this, God. How can, how can I know? Already beginning to question, to, to feel doubt. 
And like I said, if you look through Abram's life, honestly, if you look through every, every person in the Bible, every great Christian writer, every, you know, your favorite pastor or worship leader or whatever, the one, one of the things that they all have in common is they all wrestle with doubt. And you know why? It's because we all, all of us wrestle with doubt. I wrestle with doubt. You guys wrestle with doubt. We all do it. One of my, my uh, spiritual heroes is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And he says this. He says, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it's quite time for us to doubt him. We all doubt. We all do. It's just a reality of life. But don't you find that it's just, we just get ashamed of it. It's embarrassing. Like sometimes, I just, I, to be honest, I'll feel like, you're, you're a pastor. You can't struggle with this. Like how long have you been a Christian and you're still asking these questions? Or you're a parent, or you're a leader, or you're a this, or you're a that. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be feeling this way. It's normal. This is the reality of life. We are all going to question. We're all going to doubt. Doubt's going to be a part of our lives. This is the reality of doubt that we're talking about. And oftentimes, like I said, you know, we've been taught, just stop doubting. Just don't do it. Don't doubt. That's bad. So we just stuff it down, right? We just push it down. We say, okay, I won't ask that question. And we look around and it seems like everyone else just gets it. Everyone else seems to just understand and they don't have these questions. Why do I? And they'll look down on me if I, if I say what I'm really wrestling with or if they say what I really think. They'll look down at me. And oftentimes when we are honest and we do become a little vulnerable and we say, hey man, this is what I've been wrestling with recently, people do look down on us. People do, you know, kind of be like, oh, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. We all have our questions. We all go through seasons where we ask, why? Or I don't get this. So what, what is it that we doubt? What is it that we're really doubting? You know, it can be any variety of things. But, you know, I think if we really boil it down, it's, it's three, it can kind of be boiled down to three categories. And there's probably some that don't fit in this category, so don't, don't judge me. And do the best I can. Now, the three, three basic categories. The first one is we have theological questions. So we doubt God theologically. You know, like, is he good? Is, is, is he all-powerful? Is the Bible true? You know, is he real? These are, like, head questions. They're, they're theological, more conceptual like, why does God allow suffering? Why do, why, do good thing, or why do bad things happen to good people? Did God really create the universe? Did, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Do, do miracles really happen? They're, they're head questions. They're theological. But sometimes we ask really practical questions. And we doubt things on a personal level. We, and we doubt God personally. And for me, this is, this is more common for me. It's like, God, why are you allowing my mom to suffer? Why is this happening in my life? You know, I don't believe that you're going to come through for me, Lord. I don't believe you really care about what I'm going through. 
or, or, or I know that you're calling me to, to live a life, you know, an honest life, but, you know, if I don't cut this corner in, in my business, I'm going to lose a lot of money, and I don't trust that you're going to provide. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm filling out my taxes, and if I answer everything completely honest, I'm going to owe a lot of money, and I, can't, I don't trust that you're going to come through. We, we have real practical questions and not just the, the theological questions, but, but nevertheless, we're doubting God. We're doubting Him. The next way that we can doubt is that we doubt ourselves. This one's really common, and I, you know, this is what I wrestle with a lot. You know, I don't know if I have what it takes, God. I don't know if I can do what you've called me to do. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have the strength. I don't know if I have the, the power or the energy or the strength to overcome this sin in my life or to, to get past this, this illness in my family or, or to, to get through this struggle. I don't know if I can do it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I'm lovable. Or, or if, if, if you knew the things that I did, God, there's no way you could forgive me. I'm I'm unforgivable. Unforgivable. And really, I mean, if we really, really boil it down, a lot of the times when we're, when we're doubting ourselves, we really still are doubting God. But either way, we're, we're, we're all facing these questions from time to time. And, 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 and to be honest, we're probably facing these questions often, if we were honest. Because we all wrestle with things we all doubt. So then what do we do with our doubts? Let's, let's, let's start to get really practical. What do we do when we doubt? What's our response to doubt? I'm going to tell you guys a little story. When, when I was a kid, I felt really called to be a pastor. Like as a really young kid. It was the, you know, when, when we were in like elementary school, like kindergarten, the kids were like, I want to be a ninja. I want to be a fireman. I was like, I want to be a pastor. And, uh, and, and from, from a very young age, I had people speak it over me, and I had dreams and visions, and I, I would hear from the Lord that he said, I'm calling you to be a pastor. And I remember going to a conference in California, and some, uh, some guy, you know, picked me out of the crowd and said, I was like eight, and he said, you're going to be a pastor. You're called to be a pastor. And it was just, you know, I felt very clear God speaking to me from a very young age that I was called to be a pastor. And I thought that for a long time when I was in my late teens and early 20s. But about eight years ago, I became a pastor. And I was working at this church, and it was a small but growing church. And I was working there part-time because they couldn't afford to pay me full-time. But they, re they really believed in me and, f and, and really, you know, affirmed the calling on my life. Um, and they would always say, like, you know, we, we really want to bring you on full-time, but we just really can't afford it. And that was fine for, for, for a number of years, but then I got married, and it was like, I can't, I can't do this. This is getting really hard to kind of have these split things where I'm working these part-time jobs. And, and so I told my, my pastor, my senior pastor, I said, hey, I'm going to probably have to look for a full-time job in ministry. And he said, I knew this day was coming, and, and I, you know, I bless you in that, and I get it, and I'll, I'll, I'll even help you find a job. And, 
So I had just made the decision to do this, and this church in Indiana calls me. Like, I hadn't, I hadn't done any networking or anything yet. And this church in Indiana calls me, and it's this, like, big mega church that's really cool and really growing and young and hip and doing lots of cool things. And they said, hey, you know, we, we, we heard about you. And I was like, of course you have. And no, I, I didn't think that at all. I, the, my actual reaction was like, what? Who's heard of me? But they said, no, we've heard about you. We've We've uh, listened to some of your sermons online. We heard some songs, some worship songs that you wrote. And, you know, we're looking to hire a pastor, and we would really like to, to hire you. And it was like, I, I mean, it's still to this day, I don't know how that happened. Um, so they brought me out there, and me and my wife went out there. And, you know, they took us out to dinner, and, like, we met with lots of the leaders. And you know, we were there for a few days, and got together with different pastors and different people within the church, and it just seemed like this church is really cool. And we just, the more we were there, the more we liked it. And we went to one of their services, and it was just the services were really cool and really fun, and they were doing some exciting stuff. And, you know, we were basically like, all right, this is it. This is where we're going to be. And they drove us around town looking at different places to, uh, that we can buy a house and or like rent an apartment, or we're like, oh, we'll live in this neighborhood, and we were getting ready to leave and go back home, and somehow me and the senior pastor got in the conversation of women and leadership, and he just kind of said out of the blue, he said, you know what, I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that, and you know, we don't, we don't really believe in that in this church, and it just, I didn't realize it, but when he said that, I realized that's a deal breaker for me, and it, I mean, I still, I want you guys to know, I still think it's a, a great church and a wonderful church. But for me personally, I, I you know, growing up with my mom, it's just like she was a, such a strong leader. And I just feel very passionate about um, just honoring women and, and blessing them and, and, and leadership. And, and just any, you, you, if you're called to leadership, whether you're white, black, male, female, it doesn't matter to me, you're a leader. So, so I just, you know, started realizing I don't, I don't know if I can be here. And I told him, I said, look, you know, I, I think you guys are a great church, but I just don't know if this is the place for me. So we leave, we start coming home, and I just start feeling that again, where I'm like, what, are you, what, are you, what was that all about, God? Like, why did that happen? Like, I've been wanting for years to have this, this, this I wanted to be in full-time ministry, and this, it just seemed like a, a carrot being dangled in front of my face, and this just seemed like the, you know, like, I'm going to kick you while you're down. Like, it just hurt really bad. And I was just, you know, wrestling with it and struggling with it. And I get, I get back home, and I talk to my, my senior pastor about it. And he says, how'd it go? And I tell him what happened. He says, all right, this is probably bad timing. But, you know, we, we really can't. We, we're, we're, we're struggling financially, and we have to cut your hours. And, again, we really feel like you're called, but we just can't afford to, to pay you, and I just think, oh my gosh, God, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is so frustrating to me. So I was just mad and, and just having all these arguments with God and just asking those questions like, where, what are you doing in this situation? Where are you? Did I even hear from you? Did I even hear from you? Are you really talking to me? Did you really call me? Just all these questions, all these doubts, and then I heard God say to me, he said, Jay, I called you to be a pastor. Now be a pastor. And I said, I'm trying, God, but you're not letting me. 
He said, no, be a pastor. I want you to pastor the people at your Starbucks. I want you to pastor the people in your neighborhood. I want you to be a pastor. Don't worry about a paycheck. Don't worry about a title. Do what I've called you to do. I said, fine. (laughs) And it was like just kind of this like begrudgingly like adolescent attitude where I was like, okay, fine, I will do it, God. And, and I, but I did. And I was, you know, obedient. And the, the point of the story is this. What God is calling us to do in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst, whether they're big things, small things, in the midst of our questions, he's calling us to be obedient. He's calling us to still go forward. And in a number of months later, I had been getting together with Michael Hansen regularly over the past couple of years. And a number of months later, he calls me and he says, hey, I know this might be weird because your, your, your parents work at this church, but would you ever consider working up here? And I think my parents are super weird. I don't know if I, no, I just, it just felt like, and I don't have to tell you the rest of the story. I mean, I'm obviously working up here. But it just seemed like God answered so many of these questions. And, and it was just, I, I, I totally can look back and see um, what God was doing. And it makes so much sense. And I don't really have time to go into all that. But I could, here's the thing. I could have easily picked a story that didn't have a nice little bow on it. That I didn't figure out the reason why this was going on or, or have a happy ending. I could have picked a story that I'm still in the midst of, where I'm still like, I have no idea what you're doing, Lord. Or I could have picked a story that something that happened to me when I was younger that I think, I have no idea why that happened. And I may never know why that happened. But the key is, I still need to have faith through it. I may still have questions. I may still wonder. I may still wrestle with things. But the key is to be obedient and to have faith. See, faith, faith is not never having questions and just, just believing. And it's not a, it's not a head thing even. Faith is it's an action. Faith is something that we, we do. Faith is saying, I do have lots of questions. I am wrestling, but I am choosing to follow you. I'm choosing to believe, even though I do have questions. And it's not saying that our questions don't matter. It's not saying we're not allowed to ask the questions. Having faith doesn't mean you have to stop asking questions. In fact, I think it's almost the opposite. Faith is saying, I have lots of questions, but I'm I'm going to continue to follow you, Lord. It's saying, I do believe. Help me overcome my disbelief. That's Mark 9, 24. I do believe, help me overcome my disbelief. But here's the thing. I think that prayer is all throughout the Bible. That prayer is like said in so many different ways and so many dis- situations where, you know, all these people in the Bible are basically saying, I don't get it, God. I don't know if I, if I believe this, but I, I do. I, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm going. And that's what Abram, Abram did. He said, I don't, I don't get it, but, but I'm in. You know, I have these questions. I'm having trouble seeing what you're doing, or I don't understand this, Lord, but I, I'm still following you. 
There's an author, Philip Yancey, he says this. He says, I am so impressed that the Bible includes so many examples of doubt. Evidently, God has more tolerance of doubt than most churches. Don't you find that to be true? You know, honestly, if I was God's PR guy, like when I read the Bible, I'm like, why would you put that in there? Like, why do you put all these people who are constantly saying, you know, where are you, God? Like, how long are you going to sit there, God? What, what, what the heck is going on, God? Why would you put that in your book? Why are there entire books of the Bible that are dedicated to people crying out? to Say, I don't know where you are. I don't get what's happening. It's because God understands that doubt is a part of our life, that it's just going to happen, and he wants us to feel okay with it. He wants us to look in this book and say, oh, this is a normal part of life. Remember, Abram, in the story, he, 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 he has this awesome revelation from God. And it says in verse 6 in chapter 15, it says that Abram believed. We talked about it last week. That Abram believed. And two verses later, he says, how can I know? Like, he went from like, I totally believe, to like two verses later being like, I don't know. But you know what? Here's the thing. I don't think that they're on opposite sides. I don't think he went from believing to not believing. I think in the midst of his belief, he doubted. In the midst of his doubt, he believed. Does that make sense? That he said, I don't know. I have questions. I don't get it, but I'm going to follow you. I believe. And that's what God is calling us to do. That's what we need to do in our doubt. So when when we're wrestling these questions to say, but I do believe. He's not calling you to forget your questions. You know, because honestly, if we, if we don't address our questions, if we do what people tell us to do and just kind of stuff it down and don't ask those questions, they will explode in our face. They will. They will. That's why so many times you see young people who go off to college, who start, you know, they just abandon their faith because they never address their questions. And they were taught not to ask those questions. And sometimes a really small question can turn into a mountain if we don't, if we don't talk about it. But the other, there's another extreme, too, that I, I think is just as common. Where we, we, not that we stuff it down, but we just say, until I get this answer, I, I'm staying right here. Like, I'm not, go, I'm not following you, Jesus, until I get an answer. Or I don't know if I can believe until you, you show me what you're doing. Or you, you answer this theological question. Or you, you tell me what's going on with my mom. I'm sticking right here. And those, both of those things are dangerous. Both of those things are not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to, in the midst of our questions, to say, I'm still following you. And I'm bringing my questions to you. And I'm not going to stop asking God. I'm not. But I'm going to still follow you. Like, even if we look at the most famous doubter in the Bible, Doubting Thomas. Don't you guys feel bad for Doubting Thomas, that that's his name? Like, he did other cool things. He's doubting Thomas to us. But, um, you know, there, after Jesus' resurrection, there was a number of people who saw him. And they came to Thomas, and they came to the disciples and said, we, we saw Jesus. He, he's alive. He's alive. And Thomas is like, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can believe that. I watched him die. I watched him nail nails into his hands and pierce his side. I don't know if I can believe that. So in fact, the only way I'll believe that is if I, if I touch the holes in his hand 
if I put my hand in his side. And a week later, Jesus comes to Thomas. And what does he say? Does he go up to Thomas and he say, you blew it. You should have believed. Now get out. You're done here. No, that's not what he says. He says, come here, Thomas. Do you need to touch the, the, the holes in my hand? Here, you can touch them. Allows Thomas to touch the holes in his hand and put his hand in his side. And I think the reason he does that is because he knows that Thomas has questions. He doesn't judge him for it. Like, if he didn't want people to ask the questions, he would have reacted the other way and say, no questions, get out. But he says, I get it. Yeah, come, come touch my hand. But you know what he does next is really cool. He says, I get your, I get your, I get your doubt. I get your questions. Here, here, you can touch my hands. Now believe. Now believe. Somehow, and, and, and what, what God does is he both, he both accepts it and he says, I get it. He also challenges us. And this this is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, I'm not asking you not to ask the questions. I'm not asking you to just have blind faith. You can ask your questions, and I'll I'll validate them, but but you need to believe through your questions. That's what God's calling us to do. That's what we need to do. Again, faith isn't pretend time. It's not, you know... Forgetting our questions. It's not the, you know, the fake it till you make it. It's not what it is. It's this. I have so many questions, God, but I know I can bring them to you. And I'll follow you whether I get answers or not. So we need to be a church that it's okay for people to wrestle. It's okay for people to struggle. It's okay for people to, to, to have doubts, to ask hard questions. You know, sometimes you can go to the extreme where it's celebrated to do that. I'm not saying that, but it should be a place where we, we do honor honesty. We say, hey, you know, I, I, that's a great question. I really struggled with that too. And in fact, I'm really struggling with this right now. But let's, let's keep on going towards Jesus. Let's keep on going. And just as an aside, this is a little freebie. When, when, sometimes when people have really hard questions... Sometimes there's no, there's no good answer to them. There's just not. And it's totally okay if someone says, I don't get this, to be like, neither do I. I, I don't understand. Or I don't know the answer to that question. But sometimes people are going to ask questions that we do know the answer to. There is a good answer for. Um, but let me just say this. Sometimes the answer is not the thing they need. I know that that sounds silly, but the point is this. There's always a question. There's always, if you answer that question, and we, probably all of us can relate to this, there's always another question. There's, there's an infinite number of questions because God is infinite. And sometimes the answer to their question is not what they need, but you know what they always need? They always need Jesus. They always need Jesus. So sometimes, you know, putting your arm around their shoulder and, and saying, yeah, I get it. I get it. But let's keep going towards Jesus. They need a revelation of Christ. Because we need to believe through our questions. So the answer to their question might not be the thing that they need. So that's just an aside. George MacDonald, he's one of my favorite authors, he says this. He says, a man may be haunted with doubts and only grow thereby in faith. A man may be haunted with doubts but only grow thereby in faith. Doubts are the messengers of the living one to the honest. 
They are the first knock at our door of things that are not yet, but have to be understood. Doubts can be a good thing. They can be God allowing things come to come to the surface. Saying, hey, we're going to deal with this now. And just like with Abram, when he, was, when he was called to the unknown, you know, the only response to the unknown that's logical is to say, I don't know. That's unknown. So when God is calling you to bigger and better and scarier things, when he's calling you to the unknown, the only logical response is to be like, I don't know about that. But I'm in. But I trust you. But I don't know. So when we face questions, we don't need to have blind faith, but we need, to, we need to believe in the midst of our doubts. You know, God, it's hard to understand. God, I have these questions, but I'm in. I'm going to go forward. Lord, I know you're calling me to give this, give this up, to stop doing this, to, to give up this relationship, and I don't like it, and I don't understand it, but I'm in. I'm going to follow you. Because this is the hard truth. We may never, on this side of heaven, get the answers that we're looking for. We may never get the answers to our questions. But we have a choice whether or not we're going to say, I do believe, help me overcome my disbelief. Or if we're going to be like the person who says, I don't know why, so I'm I'm out. I'm done. We We need to believe in the midst of our unbelief. So let's, let's talk about this. I want to look at God's response to doubt. This is my favorite part. So if you, don't, if you didn't listen to anything else, listen to, listen to this. Let's look at God's response to Abram in this story. So God, this is right after Abram says, How can I know? And this is what, what God says. He says, The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all those things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So what the heck is going on? What just, that makes no sense, right? When we read that, we think, God, why are you telling them to get all these animals? but, But Abram would have known exactly what he was doing. Abram would have, he would have been like, oh, I get it. God... Was, was about to make a covenant with Abram. Now, a covenant, is, it's an ancient contract. This is something that, that civilizations had been doing for a long, long time. You know, they didn't have written contracts at the time. This is how they would make a contract, is they would, they would, they would have a covenant. Like nowadays, if we're going to buy a car from someone, and we're, we're asking, how can I know that you're going to give me the car for this price? And we're crying out, how can I know? We sign a contract. But back then, they didn't sign the contract. They would, they, would, they, would, they would have a covenant. And this was a very specific kind of covenant. This one's called a, a suzerain vassal covenant. And this is where a king would, would make, a, make a, an agreement with a vassal. And a vassal is someone who is, um, you know, lesser, like, you know, a, just a common man, or a, but, but not the king. So this is when a king made a covenant with someone uh, who was lesser. And the king... Um, they, they, would, they would cut these animals in half, and they would split them into two sides, and they would create an aisle in between the, the, the sides of the animal. And he would require the vassal to walk through this pathway. And sometimes if he was a good king, not always, but if it was a good king, he would walk with the vassal 
through the, through the, the aisle between the animals. And basically what they were saying was this. If, we, if I break my word, if I don't honor my word, then what happened to these animals, let it happen to me. That's what they're saying. You know, if I don't honor my word, may I be cut. May I be punished. May I be killed. May I be, be torn apart if I don't honor my word. And they would take this very seriously. This was a big deal. If you broke the covenant, they, they would kill you. It just, I mean, they, you would be tortured, and, and, you know, if you broke one of these suzerain vassal covenants, they took it very seriously. So this was a big deal. So let's keep on reading. So as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a uh, thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, no, he's reminding him of more of the promise now. He's saying, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. He's, he's talking to him about Egypt. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And you, however, will go with your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So God is saying, Abram, I hear your questions. I hear your concerns. I, I hear it. This is how you can know that I'm going to keep my promise. This is how you can know. And it says a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot passes between the animals. These two words are, are very hard to translate. And so the, we somehow decided to call it a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. But basically what it is, it's the Shekinah glory of God. We have these, these same words spoken when God meets with, with, with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, we have these same two words to describe God's presence that led the Israelites through the desert. It's these words. It's the presence of God. So it, it, it's, like, it's like lightning being stuck in the sky, but it, it, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch don't touch the real meaning of these two words. And it says it walked in between the animals. It walked down the aisle between those animals. This is God appearing before Abram and going through the aisle. This is shocking. This is God saying, you know how you can trust me? You know how you can know? You know you can know that I'm going to bless you? He says, if I do not bless you, then may I be punished like these animals. May I be destroyed. May I be cut off. May I be killed. May I be punished. May I die if I don't bless you. That's so assuring. Wow, that's so assuring. When I look at the story, I think that's amazing, God. That you, you, would, you would make that promise. That you, that you will honor your word and you, would, you are covenant-making God. That is so assuring. But to be honest with you, God, like deep down, I always knew that you would come through. Like I always knew that you, you'd be a good God. What I really wrestle with is I don't think I have what it takes. Like I know I'm going to blow it. 
Like, I'm going to let you down. I'm going I'm to let me down. I'm going to let everyone else down. It's not just you I don't, I don't know about. It's me. So it's not only shocking that God goes through the pieces, it's shocking who doesn't go through the pieces. It's shocking that Abram didn't walk through, walk through the aisle between the, the animals. This is the only covenant we have on record, not just biblical record, in any record where, where the king didn't require the vassal to walk through the pieces. This is the only covenant we have on record where the king walked alone through the, the pieces. So what, what does that matter? What, what does that mean? God is saying, Abram, I will bless you. I, and if I fail to bless you, I will pay the penalty. But if you fail, I will still pay the penalty. Do you see the significance of that? He says, if either of us fails, if either of us blows it, if either of us just doesn't hit the mark, I will offer up my life. Abram had no idea that centuries later that a darkness again would fall over the, the, the earth. That a deep and dreadful darkness would fall over the earth and blot out the sun. And God himself in the form of Jesus would, would pay the price for our transgressions. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he was honoring this covenant. He was paying the price because we blew it. He was honoring this covenant. So what does that mean? Do you realize that every other world religion, every other worldview, every way of looking at life that, that besides Christianity requires you to walk through the aisle? Every other religion, every worldview does. It says you've got to be smart enough. You've got to have enough money. You've got to be good-looking enough. You've got to have this or that. You have to, you have to um, you know, be good enough. You have to be moral enough. You have to be understanding. You have to be this. You have to be that. The truth is, is you will fail. It's the truth. You are going to blow it. You will never be enough. You will never have enough. Never. You know, talk to any billionaire. They'll tell you, you can have all the money in the world, and you'll always want more. Why? Because we cannot put our hope, we cannot put our faith, our trust, we cannot find identity in things that are not eternal. Kingdoms crumble. Our money will be spent. Our beauty will fade. Our loved ones will die. But God is eternal. God is everlasting. God is solid. He is never changing. He is the rock. He is the only safe place that we can find our identity. By what God did in this covenant, he's proving that not only will he keep his promises, that he is trustworthy, and we can know that he, he won't abandon us, but we all can, he's also telling us that he knows that we are going to blow it. And he's okay with it. He paid the price for it. So when I look at my mom, when I look at tragedy and I have these, these whys, these questions, a theological question, a personal question, whatever it is. The, the how can I know? God isn't mad. God understands. 
And he, and he was willing to give up his life so you can ask those questions. And in the midst of those questions, say, but I believe you, I trust you. You're a covenant-making God. It's like this, we're blind. We're all blind. We all have trouble seeing. And God came to give sight to the blind. So we need to be blind people who know that they're blind and admit to being blind. And not blind people who pretend like they can see. God is okay with your questions. God is okay with your struggles. He wants you to believe in spite of them. So here, why don't we stand? Now, I'm sure that there are people here this morning who have never given their life to God, who've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus did on the cross. And I, I want to take a moment and just pray, say a quick prayer, and if you want to just say, God, I, I have blown it, and I want to invite you into my life, I want you to say this prayer with me. So why don't we all bow our heads? Lord Jesus, I just admit that, you know, I've, I've tried to do my own thing. I've tried to find my identity in so many, so many things, Lord. And I, I know I'm going to blow it. I know I'm going to fail. But Lord, right now, I want to accept what you did on the cross. And I want to accept that you are the one who walked through the aisle for, for, to show me that you will be trustworthy. And I want to accept that, Lord. Lord, I want to give my life to you today. If you said that prayer with me, can you raise your hand? Bless you guys. I see a number of you raising your hand. You can put them down. You can lift your heads up. Here's how I want to end. We have, we don't have, we have about six minutes. Faith, the action word faith, do you know that it's actually a gift? That it's not something that you muster up? It's actually something that God provides for us. So what I want to do now is if you are in the midst of a time where you're questioning, if, you're, if your kids are going through hard times, if, you, if you're struggling with finances or you have theological questions or, or whatever it is, or you're sick or you're, whatever it is, God wants to give us faith this morning. So I just want to invite you up. If you're struggling right now, come up to the front. We want to pray for you. So we're going to worship and sing a song, but I just encourage you to start making your way to the front. As people come up here, um, if, if we can just put our hand on them and just invite the Holy Spirit and pray for them. Remember, don't be ashamed. We all doubt. So, so come on up. some prayers.
Some more female prayers Lord Jesus, just calm Holy Spirit. Lord, we choose today to believe that you're not a passive God. We choose to believe today that your words are true. We choose to believe today that in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our trials, we choose to believe that you are a trustworthy God and we choose to follow you. Lord, fill us with your faith Fill us with your Holy Spirit that that enables us to do the things you called us to do. Lord, I do, I just ask for those who are suffering that you draw near to them. We speak health over the sick. Speak hope to the hopeless. Speak blessing to the distraught strength to the weak draw near Lord we say we do believe help us overcome our disbelief we do believe Lord we thank you that you're a covenant making God that you promise that you will honor your words and that you promise that even though we blow it you're still going to stick by us we love you Jesus You're such a good God. You're such a good king. Praise you. Be glorified, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I just want to encourage you guys, keep on getting prayer. Um, And if you need, if you, if you, you know, wimped out and didn't come up to get prayer, it's not too late. Find someone, pray for you. As you're leaving, please sign up for...